Hey, welcome to part four in our series, God's Dream for Your Life. We've been studying the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and we've been reminding ourselves God has a dream for your life, a very specific dream. Today, we're going to learn how to unlock that dream, how to make sure you don't miss out on it. But first, let's just talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. That's right, the big game. It is next week. I don't know who you're cheering for in the big game. Maybe you're not even into football, but I'm going to give you something interesting, a reason for you to watch the game, something for you to look for during the game. This week, a year ago, we were in the middle of a series called At the Stadium. We were interviewing NFL athletes who are followers of Jesus, and it was on this weekend a year ago that we were interviewing Ray Preston. Ray played for the San Diego Chargers, and we learned all about God's dream in Ray's life. You know, as a kid, his big dream was to be an NFL athlete. But like so many people who get fame or fortune, they realize that there's an emptiness there apart from God. Ray found God through Jesus, became a devoted follower of Jesus, and has lived God's dream for his life. That included raising his kids to be devoted followers of Jesus. And check this out. Here's Ray's son, Duke. Duke works for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the coaching staff. And this is Duke last week at the game when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were defeating the Green Bay Packers on their way to the Super Bowl. So if you don't have anyone to cheer for, you can cheer for Duke and for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm going to tell you a little more about God's dream in Ray's life and how it's now playing out through his son Duke when we get to the end of our message. But right now, let's talk about you. How is God's dream going to happen in your life? What can you do to position yourself to ensure that you do experience God's dream, that you don't miss it? You could actually ask the same question this way. How do you unlock God's dream for you? I mean, if you think of God's dream as the padlock and he has a dream for you, and you think of yourself as the key, what is it that you need to do to unlock God's dream in your life? If I could answer that question for you in our time together today, if you could leave this message knowing for sure, here's exactly what I need to do to unlock God's dream for my life, would you want to know how? Well, that's exactly what we're going to learn today in the true story of Joseph, picking up in Genesis chapter 41. Now, if you missed any of the first three weeks, we've learned this about Joseph. God gave him a dream as a young man. But as soon as he shared that dream with his brothers, he faced opposition. His brothers hated him. They stripped him of his robe. They threw him into a dried up well out in the desert. Then they sold him as a slave. Joseph, at every turn, his life got worse and worse and worse, but God was still with him. And he kept doing the right thing. He kept believing in God. And last week, we got to this moment where after being a slave and then after being wrongly lied about and becoming an inmate in a prison, Joseph is standing before Pharaoh. This is his big moment. And we learned that when we're going through prisons and through slavery, when we're going through difficulties in life, we are being prepared for our moment. But whether or not we'll be the right person when the moment comes to us, that's up to you and me. Joseph made the right choices. He was the right person. And here's how the story picks up in Genesis 41, verse 16. 
Joseph is talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh has had this dramatic dream. And Pharaoh has been told that Joseph can interpret the dream. This is Joseph's one shot. This is his big opportunity. And what does he say right away to this world leader? He says, I cannot do it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will. This is like the theme in Joseph's life. I can't do it, but God can. People might do wrong things to me, but God is bigger. That phrase, but God, that God is bigger, that God has a plan that summarizes Joseph's life. And then if you skip ahead to verse 28 here in Genesis 41, you're going to see this same theme that Joseph always saw God as bigger. Now, as he continues to talk to Pharaoh, he says this, uh, it's just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown you, Pharaoh, what God is about to do. So we see from this dialogue that Joseph was always looking for where God was at work. Uh, Whether he was in a prison or in a palace, he was looking to see where is God at work. And he was bold enough in his faith to say to someone like Pharaoh, God's the one at work here, Pharaoh. And essentially Pharaoh's dream was a warning from God that a great famine would come. Seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And that if the people of Egypt didn't prepare, they would literally starve to death. But if they did prepare, they would have food for the famine and then food to care for other nations as well. Well, immediately after Joseph interprets the dream and gives God the credit for his gift, he says this to Pharaoh in Genesis 41, verse 33. He says, now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and a wise leader. Put that person in charge of the land of Egypt. Now, I just want to point this out. Joseph doesn't say, "Uh, Pharaoh, give me this job. He doesn't say that at all. He says, Pharaoh, you should look for someone discerning and wise. And the reality is everyone who knew Joseph, including his former boss, Potiphar, the slave owner, who also works for Pharaoh, everyone in that prison, everyone who knew Joseph knew he was discerning and wise. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. If a powerful person came into your life and said, I need someone discerning and wise, would you qualify? Joseph was discerning and wise because of his faith in God. Because even though the world might look at him and say, oh, you're of a different race that we don't like. You're a slave. You're an inmate. He never settled for those false identities. He said, my true identity is that I'm called of God. And God speaks to me and God leads me. And that's where Joseph got his discernment and his wisdom. He says, Pharaoh, you're going to need someone discerning and wise. In fact, then he continues and he says, Pharaoh, here's exactly what you should do. Verse 36, you should stockpile a bunch of food to be held in reserve for the country. And as is typical of Joseph, he's thinking of the people who he's serving. He's standing before Pharaoh and he knows what Pharaoh most cares about is Egypt. And so in this moment, that's what Joseph cares about. And he says, Pharaoh, you should find someone wise and discerning who will stockpile a bunch of food. Why? So that the country won't be ruined. Pharaoh, I want you to succeed. I want what's best for you. I want what's best for the people around me. 
Did you know as followers of Jesus, that should define us in our workplaces, in our communities, in our world, that we want what's best for the people around us? Well, look at how Pharaoh responds in verse 41 of Genesis 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge, Joseph, of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph, you're clearly a person of wisdom and discernment. You know how to solve this problem. You come highly recommended, and I hereby give you my authority. In fact, look at this, verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. You know, that was the metal ring that they would use to stamp the wax on the official decrees. This was the symbol of authority. Pharaoh now gives his authority to Joseph, puts it on his finger, and then look at this. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. Think about this. The same Joseph, who as a young boy, he was so excited when his dad gave him that special robe. And then his brothers, overcome with jealousy and hatred, they ripped and destroyed what was Joseph's dream. And then Joseph worked so hard as a slave in Potiphar's house, he works his way back up. And I would guess by the time he was in charge of Potiphar's whole house, He had pretty decent robes again, but then Potiphar's wife pulled those robes off of him, destroyed the dream again, but Joseph keeps doing the right thing. He keeps believing that God is bigger, and now he's standing there being fitted by a tailor, the best tailor in all of Egypt, Pharaoh's own tailor, to put on him these fine linens and a gold chain around his neck. Now, the point of this is not health and wealth, But look at these symbols. God had a dream for Joseph. And no matter what evil came into Joseph's life, God's dream couldn't be stopped as long as Joseph would continue to believe in God. And even when it looked impossible, even when it seemed impossible, Joseph continued to follow God. Now let's think back about you and about your life. Where the robes have been ripped off of you, so to speak where you've had a dream and it's been torn to shreds. Your dream is tattered. Your dream has been destroyed. How can you guarantee that God's dream for your life still happens? How can you unlock God's dream for your life? Well, we find the answer in the very text we just read. And we can summarize it this way. You unlock God's dream for you by following God one day at a time. It becomes clear when Joseph stands before Pharaoh that he's been looking for God at work. He's been listening to God. He's been following God. He's been praying to God and believing in God even when he was in the pit, even when he was sold as a slave, even when he found himself in prison. And now that he's in the palace, he's going to continue doing the same thing. You see, if Joseph didn't have this character, Pharaoh could have promoted him to be in charge of all of Egypt. And like so many other of Pharaoh's right-hand people, he would have eventually gotten fired, thrown into Pharaoh's personal prison, or even killed like that chief baker was who we read about earlier in the story. But no, Joseph goes on to have a very successful career. For seven years, he works to stockpile food exactly as he had directed Pharaoh to do. And then for seven years of famine, we're now up to 14 years of him working for Pharaoh. He distributes the food in a fair and equal way that continues to benefit Pharaoh and save lives. And then Joseph continues to work for Pharaoh for the rest of his life. You see, his character 
as one who followed God daily, continued one day at a time to unlock God's dream for Joseph's life. Joseph experienced God's dream by following him, and I wonder how sincerely are you following God in your life right now? I don't just mean believing in God, that's a great start, but following God with your daily choices. You know, you'll never find God's dream for your life if you don't follow God consistently. But more positively, you will find God's dream for your life when you do follow God consistently. I love this promise given to us as New Testament believers. You know, Joseph lived before Jesus was born, and we're going to see in many ways he's what theologians call a type or a foreshadowing picture of Jesus. We now live after the cross. We know that Almighty God came to the world as a suffering servant himself, was also rejected, and so many other similarities, but then he rose from the dead after he was crucified. And in Jesus' resurrection, we have the proof that there's no evil in our lives that God cannot overcome. There's no terrible thing that will ever happen to you that God can't turn for good. You know, in Genesis, it describes God as the creator. Theologians use the term ex nihilo, which means out of nothing, God breathed the galaxies into existence. But the beautiful thing about God is not only that he can create mountains and stars and solar systems out of nothing, it's also that he can take pure evil from Satan, from other people in our lives, even from ourselves. He can not only create, he can recreate. He can redeem. He can turn what was meant for evil and he can restore it and turn it for good. Romans chapter 8 puts it this way. It says, we as followers of Jesus we know, we are confident, this is the Greek word gnosko, we know this from experience that in all things, God is working for the good. God is working for your good. Even in evil things, God's not the author of evil, but when Joseph was being dragged behind the slave cart, God was at work, even though God wasn't the one dragging him as a slave. When Joseph was in the prison, God was still at work. And in all things, in cancer wards, in hospitals, in funeral homes, in divorce courts, in all things God works together for good. In social unrest, in uncertainty, in fear, in anxiety, God's not the author of these things, but he's able to redeem and restore for who? For all of those who love him, just like Joseph did, just like I know you do. And God brought you into this message today to encourage you. Keep loving him. Keep believing in him. Don't give up. I know we're living in discouraging times. And I know right now so many of you are feeling discouraged. But God wants you to know he's able to work even your emotions, even your surroundings, even things that look impossibly broken and unthinkably evil. He can work them for good if you'll just continue to love him. And why is this promise for you? Because you've been called. You see, God had a calling on Joseph's life. Week one, we talked about this reality that we don't get to pick what we dream at night. And when Joseph had that dream, that prophetic dream from God about his life, Joseph didn't get to pick that dream. God had a calling on Joseph's life. And God has a calling on your life. 
Through the work of Jesus on the cross, God has called you into his family. God has called you to be one of his followers. And he's left us here in this broken world because he wants to work in us and through us according to his purpose. You see, Joseph's story is all about redemption and restoration. A redemption and restoration for Joseph, for his brothers and family, but far bigger for nations. And then as a foreshadowing of the suffering servant who would come to bring redemption and restoration for all the nations, for all humankind. Well, here's a reality for you today. When I follow God one day at a time, I can be confident he will work all things together for good in his time. Keep following God. Don't lose your confidence as you obey him one day at a time, as you call out to him one day at a time. He will work it for good. I was doing some math as I prepared this message. And I was thinking, you know, Joseph was 17 years old when his brothers sold him as a slave. Then he was a slave for at least 10 years. He was in prison for at least three years, so we're at 13. Then he works for Pharaoh for about 14 years, so we're now up to 27. In other words, there came a day where Joseph had been an Egyptian longer than he had been in his family. I don't know how long your suffering is going on, and if you just feel like my suffering is really all that's left of my life, it surely felt like that at some point for Joseph, but God had not abandoned Joseph, and God has not abandoned you. I want to encourage you, if you're going through suffering, to connect with us today. Because you see, God ministers to you when you join us for these messages through the preaching of his word. But God also wants to minister to you through the relationship you can have with other believers. Uh, specifically, we have care groups, all sorts of care groups. We've got divorce care groups. We've got cancer groups. Uh, we've got groups for people who've lost children or who've lost loved ones. And if you text us the word CONNECT, to this number, we'll get you in touch with the grief share or the care or support group that can help you with what you're going through right now in your life. Well, as these years go on and Joseph is faithfully overseeing Egypt, the time finally comes when Joseph's brothers come to him begging for food. Now, it's a beautiful story, and we don't get to go into the detail of it today, but if you look in your Life Application Study Bible, you can read the detail. When Joseph's brothers show up begging for food, Joseph is so Egyptian-looking, because it's been 20-some years of him being in Egypt, that his brothers don't even recognize him. And it's this beautiful story, and Joseph eventually restores his brothers. He moves them into his palace home in Egypt, he gives them beautiful land where they, can, where they can shepherd their flocks. Joseph's dad, the same dad who gave him the robe as a boy, moves to Egypt with him. And in Genesis chapter 50, at the end of the book, we're going to see that Joseph's dad finally passes away. And as was very important in this culture, the dad gives a blessing to each of his children, and he gives the biggest blessing to Joseph. Well, after Joseph's dad breathes his final breath and they go and bury him back in his homeland, Joseph's brothers at this moment know dad isn't watching anymore. We know what we did to Joseph when dad wasn't watching. 
What do you think Joseph's going to do to us now that dad's not watching? And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis 50, verse 18. It says that Joseph's brothers, they came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. In other words, they were so convinced that Joseph was going to kill them that they threw themselves down. Now, I just want you to think about the poetic irony here. Because after they ripped off Joseph's robe, what did they do? They threw him down into a well. Now they throw themselves down. Then they sold him as a slave. Now they say, we are your slaves. And I just want you to press pause here. I want you to think about the unjust, unfair situations in your life. You know, it's human nature to say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to get that person back. It's only fair that they suffer as much as I suffer. And Joseph is now in a place he has unchecked power. He could enslave his brothers. He could kill his brothers. But look at Joseph's character now in this position of power. And you're going to see his character here in verse 19 as his brothers are groveling on the floor before him saying, just make us your slaves, don't kill us. What does Joseph say to them? He says, don't be afraid. Why? Well, not because I'm in a good mood or this or that, but Joseph says, am I in the place of God? See, every decision Joseph made in life, he related back to God. And Joseph says to his brothers, God's your judge, not me. And I just think of this, the scars on Joseph's hands, the calluses, the scars on his back, surely, from being a slave, all this pain in his life. And he says, you know what? God had a plan. I don't know where you're suffering right now and where you feel like, man, if I had control, here's what I would do. But Joseph continued to believe God's in control and I can trust what he's doing. Look at verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me. I mean, you ripped my clothes off. You threw me in a well. You sold me as a slave. You even thought about murdering me. You fully intended to harm me, but God Remember that when he stood before Pharaoh? He said, Pharaoh, I can't interpret your dream, but God can. And now he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God, the redeemer, the restorer, intended your very evil actions. He knew how he would spin them and turn them for good. For good for me, good for you, and also to accomplish what is now being done That millions of people are eating food instead of starving. Our own family is eating instead of starving. God was able to take your evil actions. He was able to turn them for good. I just love this echo of Joseph's character. That whether he's standing before Pharaoh in the palace or standing before his brothers and he could get his vengeance and justice, he always sees God as bigger. I wonder where in your life right now Do you feel unable like Joseph felt in the palace? Or where in your life do you have some relative or some loved one who's wronged you? Maybe some politician or some other person in the world that you're just furious about what they're doing. But God is bigger. And you can choose the faith of Joseph today that says God can take even what is evil. He can turn it for good. I just love this. His brothers threw themselves down. He says, you intended to harm me but God intended it for good. 
one of the older translations into English from this Hebrew text, says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Is there some evil in your life that has snuffed out your ability to believe that God still has a dream for you? The great news for you today is that there's no evil that can come into your life that God can't turn for good if you'll keep believing in him. I love this comparison of suffering servants. You see, Joseph, we learned, was a faithful servant even as he suffered. And Jesus, Almighty God, when he came in human form, described himself as a suffering servant. Look at this comparison. Joseph and Jesus both rejected by the very people they would save. Both sold for the price of a slave with pieces of silver. Both humbly served to save nations. Both were prepared for 30 years of difficulty of preparation when they stepped into their moment, their destiny. Both forgave their enemies. And most importantly, both of them followed God the Father. Both of them obeyed God the Father. And that's what unlocked God's dream in Joseph's life. Even Jesus we see in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Father, if there's any other way, if I could return humanity back to you any way other than going to the cross, please any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father in heaven, I will follow you no matter the cost, knowing that's what unlocks your dream in my life. I'm so excited to move from Joseph into studying Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, we're told this about Jesus very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now these next few weeks, we're going to study the gospel of Mark chapter 1. We're going to learn all sorts of things about following Jesus. But one of the things that I saw when I first read Mark chapter 1 is that Jesus was always listening to the Father. Why is that? Well, it's because you can't follow someone if you're not listening to them. You can't follow someone if you're not watching and listening. I remember as a kid going on bike rides with my older brothers. They were bigger, they were stronger, and I would be behind them on my BMX bike. And of course, I was watching where they were going. If I closed my eyes while riding my bike, it would not have ended well. Are you actually following God? Are you watching for God one day at a time? Are you listening to God? That's what unlocks God's dreams in your life. You might say, John, how do I do that? Well, that's exactly what we're starting to learn as we open up this study in the Gospel of Mark. We're transitioning now from Joseph's life, God's dream, to Jesus' life. Jesus said, follow me. And God says, if you want his dream in your life, you've got to follow him. I love it the way the different gospel writers portray Jesus. You see, Joseph gives us a great example of following God through difficulty, but Jesus is the ultimate example because he was God in our difficulty. You know, if you look at the different gospels, there's four different gospels in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They each have different themes, Jesus as king, the son of God, the son of man. But we're going to spend these next few weeks in the gospel of Mark, where we have this similarity of Jesus and Joseph, Jesus as servant. Jesus who came, he would say in the gospel of Mark, I have come not to be served, but to serve, just like Joseph. 
And I want to encourage you as we transition into the gospel of Mark to make sure you have a Bible that you love reading. As always, if you don't have a Bible you love reading, text the word Bible to us. We'll get you a life application study Bible. We've sent out 750 of these in the last few months, and we've sent them out of state, even out of country, to our online viewers. We want you to have a copy of God's Word that you love reading, because we're going to really learn what does it look like to follow Jesus today. Let me just give you a little taste of what we'll be learning in the next three weeks. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says this, Come, follow me. This was to the very first disciples. And then Jesus says, I will make you. If you follow me, I will train you. I will even transform you. He says, you who are fishing for fish as a living, I'm going to teach you how to fish for souls that you'll take to heaven with. You become a fisher of men if you'll follow me. And then look at the very next verse in Mark chapter 1. It says this, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Following Jesus means leaving some things, and it means doing specific things. You see, our salvation is by grace through faith, and it begins the moment you believe, but true belief will affect your life. True belief will be followed by action. Following Jesus is all about believing and obeying. Now, Joseph, in the book of Genesis, he didn't have Jesus' life to follow, but we do. And so we get so much more information than even Joseph had about here's what it looks like to follow God. You know, knowing about Jesus and following Jesus are two entirely different things. And I just want to ask you today, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you ever said to God, in every area of my life, I want to follow Jesus? Well, let me summarize for you the very beginning, and then next week we'll continue. What does it look like to follow Jesus? There's three first steps you've got to take. First is repent and believe. That's that moment of salvation where you say, God, I need salvation. Second is you've got to be baptized as a believer. Not your parents baptizing you, but you saying, I believe this for myself. And then third is for the rest of your life, you just do what Jesus says. Now, I want to invite you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, we have a baptism weekend coming up. Text the word CONNECT to us, and we'd love to see you be baptized. In fact, if you know another believer who you want to baptize you, our pastors can baptize you, but it's one of my favorite things about our church is we'll often see parents and others who've brought a friend to Jesus baptize that friend or that child. It is God's will for you to place your faith in Jesus, then for you to be baptized, and then for you to follow Jesus one day at a time. Well, at the beginning of our time, we ask the question, how do you unlock God's dream for your life? And here's what we've learned today. You unlock God's dream for you by following Jesus daily. I can't wait to spend the month of February with you exploring and really challenging myself and ourselves together to say, are we really following Jesus daily? You know, just like Joseph's life, God has a dream for you. And yes, it's spiritual, but it also involves your very physical life. At the beginning, I told you that I'd tell you something exciting about Ray Preston, that NFL player who played for the San Diego Chargers, but learned that having a relationship with Jesus is the ultimate dream in life. 
Well, Ray had a dream just as a person to go to the Super Bowl. And in Ray's eight-year career in the NFL, he never did make it to the Super Bowl. In fact, two times, he made it to the AFC Championship, which is the game right before the Super Bowl. In fact, one of those years, the family had been having a very difficult year, and the San Diego Chargers were favored to win, and he went into that game pretty sure that they were going to win. It, in fact, it ended up being one of the coldest games ever played in the NFL, referred to as the Freezer Bowl. But at the end of the game, Ray's dream at that time hadn't come true. The Chargers lost. They weren't going to the Super Bowl. And this picture was taken as Ray knelt down at the 50-yard line. It was at the end of his NFL career, and he just said, Lord, it's finished. I just, I surrender to you. I want your dream in my life, even if I don't get to go to the Super Bowl, the thing I've always wanted since I was a kid. Well, Ray then followed Jesus and raised his kids to be strong Christians. Today, Ray's kids are adults, and they're all following Jesus now. In fact, his son, Duke, played in the NFL and then went to Dallas Theological Seminary and has a pastor's degree. But Duke works for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as mentioned. And here's what's so cool about how God brings a dream full circle. While Ray let go of the dream of going to the Super Bowl, his son, Duke, one week ago today, is part of an NFL team that is going to the Super Bowl. And back in 1984, Ray knelt at that 50-yard line after his team lost, and he said, God, I surrender. And last week, he got to FaceTime with his son and hear his son talk about gathering players from both the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to pray together at the end of the game. Where? Right at the 50-yard line. Exact same place. God's dream in Ray's life was way bigger than the Super Bowl. There's going to be a lot of people in heaven because of Ray and because of Duke. There's even going to be some NFL athletes in heaven because of them. But God has delivered Ray's dream to be at the Super Bowl through generational transfer. His son is going to be there and his son has sent him tickets and Ray's going to be there as well. So we'll be looking for you, Ray, and we'll be looking for Duke. Let me just encourage you today. The dreams God has put on your heart, they matter to God. Keep obeying him. Keep following him. His dreams for you in all eternity, they're bigger than you could ask or imagine. He will work even the setbacks, even the evil, even the sickness and the unthinkable pain. He'll work it all for good if you'll keep following him. Join me next week. We'll really dig into following Jesus together in the gospel of Mark. Let me pray for you right now, Father. Lord, every single one of us, we have pain in our lives. We have distraction. We have circumstances that make us think your dreams couldn't happen and our dreams are dead. But Lord, we've learned from Joseph that even what is meant for evil in our lives, you can turn it for good. And Jesus, through your work on the cross, you've proven that even the most powerful villain of all, Satan himself, can't win against you that you can defeat death, that you can defeat sin, that you can raise a body back to life, that you can give eternal life. And so God, we remind ourselves today that just as you had a calling on Joseph's life, you have a calling on our lives. And so Lord, we will follow you one day at a time. 
Lord, we commit into your hands really this next month of our lives. We just want to follow you, Jesus. We want to really just zoom in on being devoted followers of Jesus. Lord, would you show us, reveal to us how we can better follow you, how we can love you more. And in the process, would you unlock your dreams for our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.